This is UCD Business Impact, a podcast series from UCD College of Business, Ireland's leading business school. And each week, we'll be joined by world-renowned academics from across the College of Business, as well as industry leaders, to discuss the most compelling business issues facing Ireland and the world. Our experts each week will offer insight, spark curiosity, and challenge you to rethink how you do business in a changing world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, financial editor and journalist, and lecturer at New City College of Business. Now, you're welcome to another edition of Business Impact, and it is a milestone edition. It is our 40th podcast, would you believe? When we started this a year ago, the idea really was to be kind of a short-term innovative idea to bring the UCD Business School beyond the campus, the physical campus, out into the wider community for what we thought would be a few months of lockdown restrictions. A Zoom account, my rather creaky HP laptop, and a hastily purchased USB microphone from Power City was all we had at the start. And we don't have much more now, but we do actually, to be fair. That would be a bit untrue. We have great support for lining up guests for starters, a willing academic community, to be fair, who've agreed to come on, and a very patient technical support team behind the podcast. But here we are a year on. I hope you've found the, the content interesting, whether you're taking us out while you walk or go for a jog or even while baking the banana bread, wherever you take this podcast with you, we're okay wherever that is. Now, there's an old saying among sports reporters that the most interesting stories are always to be found after a big game by those in the losing team's dressing room. And in the business world, there's a little bit of that too. We all have a slight survivor bias. We celebrate business success investment, jobs, profits, dividends, acquisitions, growth above all, and surviving are seen as literally everything often in the business world. But it's much more rare to reflect on business failure, but it's arguably much more relevant than ever in the pandemic era. But here is a bit of a puzzler. The number of bankruptcies, winding up petitions, receiverships and examinerships and liquidations actually fell during 2020, according to data from Stubbs. But Stubbs does reckon that this year we could see a significant upsurge in personal and corporate insolvencies as this pandemic grinds on. So more than ever, I think this year is the year where we will be talking, unfortunately, about business failure. And my guest can help talk to us a little bit about these themes, which she explores from her research perspective. And that guest is Dr. Orla Byrne, who is a lecturer in entrepreneurship at the Michael Smurfett Graduate Business School. And Orla is also project lead on a fascinating new project entitled Resilience and Coping Strategies of Entrepreneurs Throughout the Pandemic. And for the next 25 minutes or so, plus, we're going to be talking about that really fascinating area of business failure, which I have to say gets far too little focus in a lot of podcasts, business articles and business programs. So you're very welcome to the podcast, Orla. Oh, thank you, Emmett. Thanks. It's great to be here and uh, great to hear that introduction, actually. Some really interesting uh, statistics coming from Stubbs and a lot to be said about business failure and often sometimes a bit more interesting than the successes that are out there, too. Yeah, now, obviously, one of the things I'm very intrigued by is there's so many academics in business schools all around the world dealing with some of the things I'm talking about. This theme is is not well as mind, the whole theme of business failure. What personally kind of got you interested in this whole area in the first place? So I was teaching entrepreneurship, I was a lecturer of entrepreneurship around 2005 to 2009, very heavily involved in the usual entrepreneurship education stuff of focusing on competencies and processes, new venture creation, working with students, getting your ideas off the ground. It's all very exciting, height of the Celtic tiger, great entrepreneurial spirit. And then uh, 2008, things started to change. 
And then definitely into 2009 as well, in terms of what we were seeing globally with financial crisis. And I started to think, gosh, how do I cater for this in my classroom? How do I try to prepare students? We had This is something that hadn't been, I had never incorporated in my entrepreneurship classes. And I realized the huge success bias I had in my own curriculum and practice. And so I started to look through all the different textbooks I had and the materials, teaching materials and pedagogical materials that I had. And I found hardly anything on business failure. And I found it startling. Uh, all these rates of business failure are bandied about. And, you know, we know how precarious a, a career it is and how risky a process it is. And then I start to think, gosh, there is a huge anomaly here. We say it's so risky. We say a large number of businesses fail, yet from um, an educational perspective curriculum, but in terms of a general cultural narrative towards entrepreneurship, we focus so much on success stories. So it was enough of a motivation for me to give up my teaching job, give up lecturing and go back and do a PhD, something I always wanted to do and always felt I didn't have a topic that gripped me enough. So um, I moved over to Strathclyde, to the University of Strathclyde, to the Hunter Centre of Entrepreneurship and did a PhD on business failure, the impact of business failure on entrepreneurs and how they recover and learn from the experience and then continued to look at it for another two years with a postdoc at the University of Bath. So I was very much inspired by the lack of information that was there and that bias that you reflected on in the introduction as well. I suppose we can tell a lot from the title of well-known and influential business magazines, you know, things like Fortune, you know, says a lot about mm. what we celebrate. And I suppose one of the things I wanted to cover over, first of all, is how we perceive business failure both the community and the business people who are involved in it themselves. But looking back at society generally, and we do hear this word stigma, it comes up mm. you know, in different contexts. How do you think, and I know this is, it's a very broad question, you have different geographies, you have different business cultures, you have big firms, small firms, et cetera. But just looking at the societal reaction to entrepreneurship and business failure generally, what way do we often look at that, at that whole issue? Ireland is pretty good. We have a, a, quite a favourable approach and attitude towards entrepreneurship, which is great because we need entrepreneurship for healthy economies and for healthy societies. I, this is my bias. I would say it's the backbone. I say small businesses, small to medium-sized enterprises are the backbone of most economies. Um, so we're quite reliant on them and definitely for regional distribution of jobs and perhaps not to the same degree on the innovation front, but um, we are certainly reliant on entrepreneurship and we have a good entrepreneurial ecosystem here in Ireland. We're very lucky. We've got great enterprise policies in place. We've got great enterprise agencies. Uh, we have a healthy number of business startups. We know that through the, the fantastic global entrepreneurship monitor that takes place every year. Um, so we know we have a strong environment for entrepreneurship, but in terms of business failure, it's certainly not as strong. And you mentioned different perspectives on a geographic basis. I mean, the, the usual comparison would be from whatever country you are in, if you are going through a business failure and compare your experiences to what you could potentially be experiencing if you were over in the US. So we tend to view the US as being hugely liberal and uh, a very entrepreneurially driven society, which of course it is. And there's a, a number of different levels to that. The first the first thing I suppose is to recognize that loss is lost regardless of where you are. So while businesses do fail in America, at an individual level, you can be sure that the person who was behind whatever business failed invested their blood, sweat and tears and have to process a loss the same as a person in Ireland, same as a person in Australia, same as a person anywhere in Europe or whatever. So at an individual level, we know the research would show that a loss is a loss regardless of where you are. On a societal level, the feeling is that 
there is greater stigma associated to business failure in our country. Um, I've done research in the UK and we're also working on data from Australia, um, from Sweden as well. So I've looked at business failure in a number of different countries. Um, and conclusive from that is this sense of stigma associated with failure as well. And we can understand that. I mean, nobody likes to have failed at what they're doing. You mentioned teams. I mean, looking at the rugby over the last few months, there's always going to be winners and losers and nobody enjoys being on the losing team. And yes, in hindsight, we can look back and, and say we've learned lessons and, you know, we've progressed. But at that point, when you've just lost a match, when your business is just um, folded, it's so difficult. Uh, so there's an awful lot of processing of it at an individual level, which arguably gets completely left out of the picture. But then on a social level, back to this idea of stigma as well, we're awkward as a society. We are awkward around these types of events. And I remember doing some research on death and grieving actually for a business failure before. And it was saying, you know, it's the, it's the last big taboo left over since the Victorian ages almost, um, where we just feel uncomfortable around death, but we also feel uncomfortable around failure. And various stories from entrepreneurs would illustrate that, that people just don't know what to say to you often if your business fails. When you're part of something that's successful and doing well, there's an energy from that people want to be around you. You get kudos, you get recognition for the numbers of employees that you have, for the growth of business, for the rate of finance that you've been able to raise. So all of those achievements get recognized. But then when the business fails, there's no recognition for the achievements of the business in the past. What tends to happen is a perception uh, by the entrepreneur that people are pointing fingers towards them of all the things that they did wrong. It can be very difficult to just process all of that. And sometimes people can't even give instances where they felt publicly discriminated against or stigmatized, but there's a perception that that's what's happening um, and a feeling that you're no longer part of that winning team. So you're no longer part of the same networks that you were part of before. Your identity, we know that the identity of the entrepreneur and the business are inextricably linked. So as we mentioned, blood, sweat and tears are invested into getting these businesses off the ground. People refer to them as their baby, this kind of thing. So when that business fails, what happens to the identity and the sense of self of that entrepreneur as well? So it takes a huge amount of resilience to come back from that and to try and differentiate yourself and your abilities and capabilities from the failed enterprise um, that is no longer no longer going operation. So, yeah, there's an, there's a lot to unpack there, Emmett. <laughs> there is. And I mean, there, there's the societal reaction to it, as, as you say, and then there's the entrepreneurs themselves and, mm. and they're slightly, slightly different. If I can just uh, zone in on the entrepreneurs themselves for a second. I mean, often some of the best entrepreneurs, some of the greatest business success stories have come from previous failures and those learnings mm. that, that you talk about. If, if you don't go through that pain and you don't go through, you know, kind of testing your business model and putting it out there, Maybe the idea gets repurposed into a new company later on, or you bring in new investors, or you move it to a different uh, territory, etc. Is the research telling you that the more failure you have in a way as a society, you may actually produce better businesses down the line? I mean, is, is there anything kind of holding water in that theory? Nobody would encourage someone to fail purposely. Yes, there is learning from failure. However, it's easier to reflect on that learning if you've gone on to achieve subsequent successes. So it's at the point immediately after a failure is when an entrepreneur is at their most vulnerable and when there is possibly the least amount of support available for them to try to transition to, to find what the next thing will be and to, to navigate that aftermath 
really, of what happened with their business failure. What would be important, though, is giving enough time to go through the reflection that's necessary and to try to identify exactly where the problems were that led to the business's demise and acknowledge and own your own contribution, your own role, where you went wrong, not just others, but also yourself. And from multiple conversations I've had with entrepreneurs over the years, um, and again, from the international research, entrepreneurs aren't shy of identifying their own problems and their own contributions here as well. There might be a narrative out there that suggests, oh, it's easier to blame other people and to attribute blame, blame externally. I've never met anyone who's been in that position who hasn't put their own hands up and acknowledged where they went wrong as well. The challenge can sometimes be trying to gather resources again to start up another initiative and trying to figure out, well, what other enterprise should I get involved in? And, you know, for many, the decision and the mature thing to, to do might be to identify that wasn't for me and to actually take all of that learning and apply it back into a regular career and either return to their original profession or to, to get a job uh, again. And there's very little work that looks at that transfer of learning and the uh, capabilities of someone who has owned and run their own business and how suitable and how valuable that can be for industry afterwards as well. Um, and whether those people need transition in, even in terms of, you know, it's, you have to be brave. Like there's a degree of being brave, having it on your CV that you had a business and it didn't work. Um, and then going back on the jobs market and trying to to get reestablished in, um, in in a career in industry as well. So there is there is definitely learning there. Part of it can be trying to package that learning and and call it out for what it is as well, and, and to actually identify the specific areas where the learning was. Um, so we can test that learning in the future either by going back into entrepreneurship and starting up other businesses, or by returning to to industry where there isn't enough research is really looking at some of the challenges entrepreneurs face as they re-engage in career, either the career, but re-engage in entrepreneurship as well and where the barriers are. So certainly for some countries, there will be huge stigma associated with having been part of a previous failure and then trying to, to apply and start another business. I call that the liabilities of failure. There's a lot of research in entrepreneurship talks about the liabilities of entrepreneurship um, that have to be overcome to get a business off the ground. But equally, there are significant liabilities of failure that exist for people starting up again. So we want to make sure the learning is there. But at the moment, there's no way of trying to formalize that. Now, Orla, it's a fascinating area. And I'm sure you come up against the, the next critique I, I'm going to put to you. With, but I have to do it because some of our listeners, no doubt, will. will I'm anticipating what they'll be, they'll be screaming at us to, to ask this question is, a lot of um, people lose out in a liquidation or a bankruptcy proceedings of some kind. Creditors are top of the list. Some are secured, like the revenue commissioners, possibly the banks. And some of them are unsecured. Trade creditors often get burned very badly. And some people will say to us, this is all very well to, you know, encourage people to take an idea out there, like I've said, to test it out. As you've rightly pointed out, it, it, there's a legal framework that only allows that to go so far. But People might say, you know, creditors can be left high and dry. You know, we, we need to, yes, let entrepreneurial spirits flow. But we also need to make sure that there aren't too many um, other parties damaged in that process. What do you say to that, that type of critique? Oh, look, I agree with that. You know, we can't condone poor business management. And, and we have laws in place to make sure that that is avoided as much as possible. OK, so like I was saying before, entrepreneurs, if you're a director of a company, you are obliged to fulfill your legal obligations and act in good faith in the interests of the company. 
that has to be the starting point. And if people are veering beyond that, then, you know, there have to be repercussions and there are repercussions. Okay. So last week I was just speaking to an insolvency expert about some of this to, to understand it better, even myself as well. So first and foremost, we can't condone poor business management. Okay. But we must also acknowledge that not all business owners that go out of business leave their creditors high and dry. So it can happen. And for any creditor where that is the case, it can really jeopardize their businesses and can have that knock on effect, which is is going to be hugely problematic for those creditors. But also we can't tar all entrepreneurs whose businesses close with that same brush as well. And I've met many entrepreneurs who have been absolutely scrupulous in terms of how they manage their cash flow to try to identify if they had to close up today, how much is there to pay off all their creditors? I've met people doing cash flows twice a day to try to manage that process. So we have to recognize, I suppose, that there is going to be a broad spectrum of entrepreneurs out there, as there are a broad spectrum of people in general and the general public as well. So from the research from the EU, it would identify that about 90% of bankruptcies are what they call honest bankruptcies, where within all remit of the entrepreneur, they did things above and board as much as possible. And they just ran out of money and they just weren't able to get turn the business around. Now, where there's that 10%, that's inexcusable when somebody begins to overtrade and um, trading insolvently is, is just not and cannot be tolerated. So... Um, what I would say is, yes, I do feel for those creditors, but I would say that we can't just think that that's the case in all events of um, insolvency as well. Now, Orla, that brings me on to the wider issue of enterprise policy. And for decades, you know, Ireland really made a very quick kind of leap from an agrarian based economy to, I suppose, or kind of a services based. We kind of skipped the industrialization manufacturing piece in the middle to some extent. But anyway, um, and, and that gets to the kind of the culture of enterprise in Ireland. Um, you mentioned it in some of your opening uh, remarks on this podcast. But um, do we do enough to kind of support entrepreneurs as a state, as a kind of a government system and as a kind of a wider community? It's not just a government issue. There, there, There's a whole, as you mentioned, an ecosystem there. I mean, from your research, do, do you get any sense that we as a country, when we compare ourselves against, say, our European neighbours or other, other territories beyond that, again, that we're doing enough to to kind of help these people to start up businesses that sometimes have the odd failure here or there, but ultimately over time get there? Are, are we doing enough as a society and then kind of the enterprise space more generally, do you think? Look, I think we're lucky to be in Ireland. As I said before, we, we do have a healthy economy, healthy society for entrepreneurship, and there is support there from the government. So enterprise is seen as, as something worth investing in, and that's reflected in the significant budgets that are there for Enterprise Ireland and local enterprise offices to support starting and growing businesses. My perspective on it would be that we perhaps place an overemphasis on new venture creation and growth, um, which has to be there to try to stimulate entrepreneurial activity and support entrepreneurs who are taking the risk. And they are taking risks. The amount of extra hours that these people work, like they are unsung heroes in my perspective, and they do deserve the support for the extra mile they go to to try get these initiatives off the ground. Um, but we know that one of the biggest deterrents of entrepreneurial activity of people starting businesses is a fear of failure. Um, and it seems to be not just in Ireland, but enterprise policy in general, the way enterprise policy addresses that is to provide more support for people taking that leap into entrepreneurship 
be it through training or um, different grants, although the grant system has tightened up significantly as, as, it, as it should be, mentoring, enterprise networks, all of this kind of support is, is there. However, we don't typically look at what happens when businesses fail and there is no safety net there at all or no support there for people when their businesses do fail. So if we are to try to tackle this view of fear of failure as being the biggest deterrent to entrepreneurial activity, I think that placing the emphasis continuously on new venture creation support rather than trying to identify and have that conversation about well, what happens when businesses fail, where does the blame lie proportionately? What have people done? Yes, acknowledge that there were actions that led to those business failures, but try to see what can be done around learning and support um, for people afterwards. And perhaps some of that, those kind of initiatives could rebalance this perspective and this fear of failure as well, if entrepreneurship is something that you do want to try to stimulate and support in your economy. And can the entrepreneurs pool their own learnings together and build a, a bit of a network? Are you seeing anything like that going on? There has been some efforts internationally. I came across one initiative in Ireland, I think it was called Startup Weeks, which was along those lines of a bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing and recognising that businesses have failed. But there have been sporadic um, informal networks that have set up. Um, and, do you know, it's something you don't need to be part of for your whole life, but it just could be, and it might not be for everybody, but like we have counselling for, you know, bereavement or for divorce or for uh, loss in general, there is no harm to have something in place for people when their businesses fail as well. So I'm involved in an association, the Australian Business Exit and Restart Association, that is looking at trying to set up these kind of support mechanisms on a formal level. And especially the period that we're coming into now, businesses are, I suppose, are on a lifeline at the moment with COVID payments and depending how long things last and these um, the lockdowns last, etc. You know, we can expect those figures to change significantly over the next year. Um, so there certainly will be, you know, there's going to be winners and losers from all of this. Um, so how we support people in the future is going to be interesting. Now, in that context, Orla, you're working on a fascinating project. I know you're the project lead for this on building resilience during this period ahead. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about this? So we started this last year. Really, the idea of it came from thinking from my experience of researching business failure. I was thinking, how are entrepreneurs going to get through this for money that they you know, they'll have weathered the storm from the the recession and um, possibly be in growth positions again. And the next thing they're hit with this, how do they cope with it? I had no idea at that time that, it, you know, a year later that those businesses could still be closed. So the resilience that business owners are going to need to get through this is going to be incredible. From, from the people that we've met so far, they're are, yeah, great stories of resilience. We see changes to business models and people really digging deep, trying to figure out how their business could look in the future. We've met a number of entrepreneurs who have decided to pull the plug on their ideas. Particularly vulnerable were those at the very early stages of startup, where they were about to launch a business in 2020. And it just hasn't been possible. It's extremely difficult for those businesses to get funding at the moment. They don't fulfill the criteria to get state support because they haven't been trading and the efforts that they have been putting into getting their business off the ground weren't recognized because the business wasn't actually trading. So I think we're going to lose a lot of those businesses who were about to start in 2020. But in terms of the resilience that we see, we definitely see evolutions of business models, which is great. 
um, and a lot of trying to predict and imagine what the future trading environment is going to be like. We see also that where there have been people who've had particularly difficult instances in their past. So this is interesting, actually, from a failure perspective for entrepreneurs who've had a failure in the past. They were on heightened awareness coming into COVID um, because they had learned very difficult lessons, perhaps from the recession or from previous business experiences. Um, and they started to think, go immediately into contingency planning. What would happen if X, Y and Z? The businesses that have been doing better throughout the pandemic were able to almost predict this outcome at an earlier date and went into contingency planning at, at an earlier stage and made decisions quite early, um, strategic decisions quite early to try save their businesses as well. But yeah, there's going to be, there's certainly going to be winners and losers and some industries in particular are going to find it difficult to bounce back. And from talking to some of the, you mentioned you have been talking to some insolvency practitioners, from what you're hearing, how tough could it be over the next few months? Obviously, there's one big imponderable, which is the virus itself. We don't really know what's going to happen there. But, but what kind of things are you hearing? People are being kept in a lifeline at the moment. And when those payments stop, we're going to see a lot of closures happening. The insolvency industry is quite interesting because they're professionals who are coming in to do a job on behalf of a creditor, for example. It's not their responsibility to think about the entrepreneurs behind the businesses. So it's quite an interesting, um, they're an interesting group to consider because they're part of this whole ecosystem. My research, my, I feel my responsibility is to the people behind the businesses um, and insolvency doesn't tell us about those people. And if it's one thing I've learned about entrepreneurship over the years is, yes, it is business, but it is also emotional. And where you have that level of emotional investment in something, it's particularly difficult then uh, trying to maneuver the, the territory uh, when it's not working out as well. Um, and one of the things the insolvency practitioner said, which is totally correct as well, is that people leave it too late to try to get help. So from um, a functional insolvency perspective, that's what they will see. From my research, what I see is that making that decision to try to, to, to close a business is particularly difficult. And that rather than making that decision early and being strategic about it, they tend to, to keep the initiative going as long as possible to try to turn it around. And that's where most businesses come into trouble. So invariably, what we should be doing is really thinking about exit strategies, which most businesses don't actually have in place. But by thinking strategically about exit almost from the get-go, it can help frame your thinking so you can kickstart some initiatives at a sooner date. So perhaps throughout COVID, we might see this period of lockdown is giving people an opportunity to think about exit strategies. And that, that exit strategy might be, well, I'm not going to open up when um, the lockdown lifts or else that there, there could potentially be that headspace where they think, OK, we'll give it a go. We'll get up and go. And that they have markers in place for seeing how well they do over the first six months, the first three months or whatever. Um, and hopefully that headspace gives them a bit of clarity and time to think about, you know, how what will be the gauges of success and to make decisions then otherwise if they need to. Yeah, and I think that you, you really you really happened upon something by saying or observing that people talk about it as their baby, that parental idea of, and we all write you know, a business was born. You know, that we we all the, all the language around this is is very parental, um, which uh, which is maybe maybe a good thing, but maybe a bad thing, and and maybe it's to invest the right sort of emotional energy in the business, as you say, and part of that is 
is knowing when to to say enough, you know, and, and this is just not working. That's also a kind of a skill, which I, I think is quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the research on exit strategies would suggest internationally that business owners don't have exit strategies in place. That's something that can be addressed, you know, and I think it's something that can be addressed quite simply as well. Now, whether you have your, you know, you can have all the strategies in place in the world and then the reality can be completely different when it is, has been your blood, sweat and tears. But at least going through the process might have some of those flags in place for you as well. So in general, when once people enter into a kind of a crisis curve, there's very little impartial advice that is available for you. So, you know, you have to start up your, you start up your business. There's a lot of people you can go to for mentoring, support, etc. When your business is in decline or trouble, A, there might not necessarily seem to be the same amount of support available to you, but B, it can also be very difficult to ask for help. And I mean, that's, we're talking about entrepreneurs and their businesses, but in life in general, you know, we do find it difficult as a people to ask for help when things aren't going right. Um, and there's been a huge drive and rightfully so to about health, mental health and seek support if you need help, if you need help, et cetera. And we probably just need to do the same thing in the business world as well, encouraging, you know, yeah, your mental health is important, but if your business health is in trouble as well, where can you go? Who can you talk to? Who can you seek advice from? And um, that we make that information um, more readily available and make that as much a dialogue and part of everyday business life as the next thing. So as everyone says, success has many um, fathers or mothers. Failure is an orphan. But when you heard that first, you said, oh, what, what, what happens to the orphans? I'd like to know more about that, please. So uh, I think you, by even doing the kind of work you're doing, we're, we're bringing that conversation out there, you know, that there's just there is a being a lopsided uh, research focus, I suppose, on, on business success. So just by doing the kind of work you're doing, you're actually getting that conversation out into academia and then beyond then again by doing things like like today's podcast. So thank you very much. Uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's been fascinating. We've actually gone over our time. That's how fascinating it was. Uh, and, and thanks for coming on the 40th edition of Business Impact. So you, you get a little prize. We're not in the same room, so I can't give you any prizes, but um, metaphorically speaking. So thanks for coming on and good luck with the Resilience Project throughout the pandemic. Um, it's going to be a fascinating one, even though there's a little bit of darker shadow in there as well, but we'll see how it goes. And I'm sure many of these entrepreneurs will get back on their feet um, later this year or into next year with separate and different ideas. So thank you very much, Dr. Orla Byrne. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Emma. It's been my pleasure.